soaring, flying star. There's not a star in heaven that we can't reach. If we're trying, yeah, we're breaking free. Yeah, we're breaking free. <laughs> There's a TikTok where it's like, some won't get it. And it's this... It's a guy wiping away a tattoo. Like, not wiping away a tattoo. Like, you know when a fresh one's done and they wipe the, like, soap off? Yeah. It well, says, no, but yeah. Troy, comma. Or no. Oh, yeah. Troy, comma, listen. It's like the beginning of one. <laughs> and it's just above, like, a spider on his knee. And I'm like, ah. Well, that is High School Musical reference for you. Youngins or oldens, I guess. <laughs> or just not Disney people. So. Yeah. Um, did you know there's, like, I have a... Uh, we bought the Hulu upgrade. Oh, what do you made of money? No, no, no. It upgraded, so we downgraded. Ah. Oh. We bought the one with the with the ads. Honestly, nice. Good for snack breaks. Anyway, yeah. I saw Legit. an ad. Mm-hmm. See? Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise it's like, oh, I got to pee. Do I pause? It's a good part. <laughs> this makes the decision for you. Love it. But they, they play like Disney commercials when I'm on Hulu, which is weird. There's like- Oh, Disney owns Hulu. Oh, shit. Yeah. Disney Wait, owns really? the world. Yep. Disney they owns probably a lot of own stuff. you right now. Well, hello. Obviously, I'm singing High School yeah. Musical. They've branded you. They have. There is High School Musical, like, summer camp. and high. It's like Camp Rock and High School Musical, like, had a baby. Oh. But it's, like, really obnoxious. I thought they were making a new one. I think it's, like, been out. They like, have a series, like a yeah. Series like a, and now it's, like, uh, another branch. Or maybe two. Yeah. Happily, I do not watch it. No, I just saw a commercial and immediately I was like, oh. I, well, I think that's the ugh. show that Olivia Rodrigo was on, right? Oh. I think she was on it. This. Oh, maybe. I think so. I'm going to look it up. Aaron's here for our pop culture reference. Thanks. You're listening to Sinister Sunrise. I'm Sarah. I'm Morgan. I'm Aaron. Yeah, she's our pop culture girl. Yeah. Sarah, you are our information gal. Like, history, new studies, things in the news. Weirdly, I'm very happy to hear you say that. Thank you. I am mm, very old vines that no one remembers. Just that. (laughs) It's a fine niche. (laughs) I would call you 100% entertainment all the time. Great vibes. Hilarious. Yeah. Yes, Olivia Rodrigo was in the show. I think she was like one of the main characters. But I also forgot that the show is technically called High School Musical, the musical of the series. Bro, get the (laughs) fuck out of here. Yep. It has three seasons, actually. So Mm. does it say they don't sponsor us musical the musical the musical musical for the third season this is sinister sunrise (laughs) podcast the podcast that's sinister on sunrise not always sunrise some sunsets sinister sinister (laughs) not available to all audiences oh check with your doctor oh my god um okay any other oh my god i don't know why like you'd think my eyes would be just like i just cry all the time i mean i cry in general a lot but like now that my eyes are still like doing their thing healing up they just morgan got lasik speaking of sinister Woo! if y'all have any questions slide in them dms i will happily give you the full detail or maybe a ba- dump like a baby version of if you're scared i was very scared valium is a good thing <laughs> very good thing well i mean it's like a laser in your eye so yeah, yeah. i would also be and terrified all it was, was numbing <laughs> drops like you don't get a shot you don't get and the valium doesn't do anything for like pain it's just to kind of make you like here 
am. Yeah. Okay. My stomach hurts. <laughs> it always triangles back. Our episode today. Are you talking about triangles? triangles? Triangles. Angles of try. Oh, wait. Do or do not, there is no triangles. Does that have to do with our topic today? It might. Hmm. hmm. Is it a Bermuda? No. No, 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 no. Those are shorts. Those are shorts. Could it be? Something you walk across? Is it water under the bridge? Something similar. <laughs> Ooh, the Bridgewater Triangle, perhaps. <laughs> Tis our episode today, folks. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Woof. It's been a long three-day week. Yeah. And we've only worked two of those three. Yep. Um, okay, so my main source is The Ghost of Bridgewater Triangle by Christopher Balzano. Ooh. I am a weirdo. Speaking of someone who is an information gal. I was reading this on my vacation recently. Oh, I'm yes. so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. I did see that um, source and I tried to try to find it on my library app. They don't have it. Oh. I will actually loan it to you after this if you want. I think you would love it. you have like the physical? Yeah. 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 We'll I'll read it. Oh my God. I had to skip past a lot of parts which made it an easy read because it was all ghosts and outside of what really concerned me, I was like, I feel like I shouldn't be reading this. Okay. So, if you don't know what it is, um, the Bridgewater Triangle is a, you guessed it, triangle of land. <laughs> about 200. It's actually a rectangle. <laughs> triangle just sounded a better. Spiral, <laughs> Perhaps a hypotenuse triangle. A, hot, hot, a what? It's not a hypotenuse. Oh, the one where said, it's. These are hot pot noose, and I was obtuse. like, Ooh, <laughs> hot pot noodles, that pop pop. Rubber noose, rubber, rubber <gasps> goose, green moose, lava juice, trying to make birthday cake. Large fries, chocolate, chocolate shake. shake. <laughs> Wait, is it rubber noose? That's sad. Wait, rubber goose. Rubber, rubber goose. goose. Green moose. Lava juice. What's before the green, the. You let us know, listeners. Yeah, something. <laughs> I, we got you almost all the way there. Come on, do it for us, please. Thank you. Woo. Woof. Um, okay, so 200 mile triangle. In this northeastern part of Massachusetts, yep. United States of America. Um, full disclosure, when, yeah, I'm sure we all knew that was the U.S. of A. No, I mean, you got to be clear. We cover, we, we've covered some lands across the seas. From sea to shining sea. We've even covered the Bermuda Triangle. That's where it all triangles back to. So. It does. Yeah. It does. Um, Lauren Coleman was the original person to like lay down the lines I don't know why it sounds so intense. Lay down the lines <laughs> for this triangle. Um, and he started by looking at weird happenings and sighting in a particular area. So if you are trying to debunk this, let's be honest, right up top, the weird stuff happened and then we as humans categorized it. In the same spirit of fairness, though, a lot of weird happenings are happening in this triangle. A disproportionate amount, in fact. Mm -hmm. So all in this area of 200 miles, which in the grand scheme of things is not that big. There have been sightings of ghosts, apparitions, Bigfoot, Thunderbird, puck wedgies, demon hounds, balls of light, UFOs, and a heightened amount of crime and suicide at their mental hospitals. Yay. Basically, it is our podcast in the woods. So maybe I mean... our podcast in October. We'll find out. Um, like most... Things paranormal sources are mixed on when the eerie feelings and weird, ha weird happenings started. There is a camp of people who will state that New England has always had eerie spots in parts of the woods that even the indigenous people wouldn't enter. But there are others that will argue it started with King Philip's War, and that's what really, <laughs> that's what really uh, popped the top off this bottle of pop. 
Oh. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I was so excited for where you were going to go with that. You sound like a tea kettle. Sarah. I am. I am making myself sweat. I wrote this before bed the other night, and I was thinking like, hell yeah, Sarah, look at that. You're going to kill it. How many times can Sarah say pop and happen in, in like <laughs> one paragraph? Yeah. Pop the top off this bottle of pop. Pop, it's pop, happening. pop. Weird happenings popping bottles. All right, so quick history lesson. I know you're all thinking it. What is King Philip's War? Who is this high class sounding gentleman? Do you guys want to take a stab at it? I cannot answer the question because it may or may not have been something I had to look up. Beep, boop, up. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure I'll learn more, so I also don't want to answer and sound like a dumbass. Hoo, 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 hoo. I think that was an answer. Okay, Aaron, any stabs? And who he is? Yeah. No idea. A king? Not the history book. A king? Yeah. A king? Um, okay. A man named Philip. Bold choice, Aaron. <laughs> Two points, Gryffindor. <laughs> okay, so it's also called the First Indian War, Metacomets War, or Metacomets Rebellion. Mm-hmm. The war itself could really be an episode or series all on its own, but for our purposes, I'm going to give you the post-game highlights. Please, we're not a war podcast. No, and uh, for all of our uh, listeners whose husbands, boyfriends, well, females, anyone who's doing fantasy football, may God be with you. I know it starts this week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> starts this Thursday. Is that yep. war? Is that warfare? That is the war no one talks about. Oh my um, gosh. So this war was a vicious conflict between early, early settlers of the northernmost colonies in America, specifically Massachusetts, Maine, and Rhode Island, and the indigenous Wampanoag tribe. Throughout the war, a few other tribes were dragged in, but for our purposes, we're kind of just going to skim past that because we're not trying to make this whole podcast. Um... The chief of this tribe was named Metacomet. His Christian name, though, was King Philip, which is why it's nicknamed King Philip's War. I don't know why they chose King Philip. That's what it is. Okay. Like it couldn't just be like King Metacomet? Don't be ridiculous. Sorry. <laughs> um, up until this war, the indigenous people and the new arrivals had an untrusting frenemy type relationship. I would call it coexisting. Um, like there had been some skirmishes, but for the most part, it was working. Everyone's like, you stay over there. We'll stay over here. We'll trade some things, but stay the fuck away. Mm-hmm. Metacomet broke that tradition of being peaceful with the colonists. Not because he felt like it, but because the colonists kept pushing the boundaries of previous treaties. And the last straw for the tribe was the colonists executed three Wampanoag tribesmen for the murder of another Wampanoag member. And if you're wondering what the colonists had any business with that was, you'd be correct. Um, the Wampanoag said, fuck this. And they went on the offensive, raiding villages and causing mayhem. The colonists then hit back twice as hard, which then caused the Wampanoags to up the ante again. And this went on for three years, from 1675 to 1678. And no one is really innocent in this. Um, The Wampanoags knew they were outnumbered, so they tried to do more psychologically terrifying things and torture, which then fed into the racist minds of some colonists who, like I said, came back hard. It was all around brutal. As you can imagine, the brutal conflicts led to a lot of people in the crosshair, a lot of unnecessary and unhappy deceased people, hence hauntings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the war ended with Chief Metacomet retreating into the woods that are now part of the Bridgewater Triangle and being killed. His, 
head was fixed on a stick and sat publicly in Plymouth Rock the next 20 years. Oh my God. Yes. So as you can see, this war is one of the biggest stories told to explain the kickoff of unexplained happenings in Bridgewater Triangle. It was not good. Not good. I would not put it on the postcard. No. Mm -mm. Even after though, like as we fast forward, when the locals tried to do something good in the area, the earth itself seemed to reject it. And that brings me to Taunton State Hospital. All right, which to be fair, at the time it had a much less friendly name, Taunton Lunatic Asylum. But for my peace of mind, I shall call it the hospital. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. The hospital opened its doors in 1854 to help alleviate the overcrowding at a nearby facility. In its heyday, it was said to be beautiful, built by the architect Eldridge Boyden. His name isn't quite as important, uh, sorry, Eldridge, as that of the inspiration he was using, and that would be the work of Dr. Thomas Kilbride, Kirkbride, excuse me. The hospital, like many he inspired, was in a rural setting where patients could have access to fresh air and occupational therapies like gardening, which sounds like a no-brainer, but at the time, this was truly revolutionary. It's the 1850s, and we as humans have barely made it past the point in history where we just threw people in a dark room and never spoke about them again. And at the time, someone could be checked into the Taunton facility for the following reasons. And I suggest taking a drink for all that you would be thrown in for. Ready? Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> shit. It, Wait, okay. Wait, okay. Let me, get my, let me get my juice. Yeah, get your juice. Um, promiscuity. I'm sorry. <laughs> Back then, promiscuity started showing my ankles. You went so far as to show your ankles? Yeah. Get in there. Go. <laughs> Go. Um, being senile or losing your facilities. <laughs> I didn't know if everyone knew what senile. I don't know. Um, no, I, I love it. <laughs> um, being deemed wild and unruly. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> the horror. <laughs> um, being unwanted of any kind, really. They could just... Thanks. Because it's kind of cheap just to drop them off and then... Oh, yeah. See you never. Yeah. Um, being outspoken or not agreeing with the proper political or religious views. Anxiety, depression, not getting along with your family, homosexuality. Worst of all, being a woman who is too assertive. Oh. We should all take a drink. It's <laughs> what? What's worse than a woman? <laughs> <laughs> By this point, I think we'd be drunk, so. Well, I am drunk, apparently. It's just, oof, I'm done. Okay, bye. See you later. Hyperactivity. Oh, we're still going. <laughs> oh, no, the list is long. I'm ready. Birth defects, poor social skills, <laughs> being antisocial, or not speaking English very well. And this last one is more of a point because of the high amount of Irish immigrants who found themselves here for no real reason. Um... It also housed criminals who committed real crimes, like murder. Huh. Mm. Yes. I didn't mean to drink on that one. <laughs> Actually, yeah, wait a second. Pause hmm. the pod. What you want to tell us? It wasn't me. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't me. me. No. Just um, kidding. The sad thing is, when you walked up to this building, it would have been beautiful. In its heyday, there were over 40 buildings. They had dorms, theaters, gardens, kitchens, you name it. There was a real attempt by reformists during this time to make 
this kind of a pit stop, not a forever stop for people, which again was brand new thinking. Unfortunately, almost anything that our man Kirkbride, inspiration man, touched ended up royally haunted. Author of Ghosts of Bridgewater Triangle stated that his legacy seemed to be, quote, creating buildings that trap spirits and attract paranormal adventure seekers. End quote. It's unknown if the areas itself that were haunted or if maybe he was in a cult. There are some rumors that he was involved in cult activity, but I have no way to prove that. Um, like a lot of institutions at this time, it was used for a lot of experimental testing. And before I get into this, I do want to say I understand the why, kind of. Like, again, they're trying to make it a pit stop. So they're trying to do things that, like, shake up your brain, which sounds bad now, but then they'll, like, snap out of it. Like, we're going to have you do these things. Um, so they did ice-cold water submersions and the really hot tubs, electric shock therapy, probably not the safe kind that we do today. Again, I did an episode on this, very safe today. Probably not then. It was like the wild west of psychology. They also did lobotomies. Oof. There are some rumors. I really need to emphasize, underline, highlight the word rumors. Um, that they put inmates in cages outside during the winter and threw ice water on them. Oh my god. They put inmates' babies in isolation to see what would happen. Oh what? Inmates were beaten or murdered for cult reasons. It could be urban legend building. It could be true. Unfortunately, the one where they're outside makes sense to me based on like other things they were doing. Like I can see how your brain would make that sadistic leap to the left. Also, not very difficult to do yeah. <laughs> to throw water on someone. Yeah. It's like yeah. readily available. Unfortunately, yes. Oh my um, God. Wait, I'm really dumb and I may, have, <laughs> I may have blacked out. You're saying inmates. Where is this? Massachusetts? No, no, no. Asylum? Okay, this is the asylum. Yes. Okay, I was thinking for some reason at a prison, and I was like, I don't remember reading about a prison. I probably shouldn't call them inmates, but no, they I were mean, treated like inmates. They were. So you said there were some murderers, too, so I guess. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anyone they didn't want to deal with. That's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know if the last bits are true, especially when you get into cult stuff. That's when you kind of make me raise my eyebrows. Like, I don't think satanic cults are that everywhere. Aaron's eyes say maybe they are. So you know what? Take what I said, toss it out the window. <laughs> it, it held its most famous inmate in 1892. Any guesses who this could be? 1892? Oh, yeah. You know the big year? The biggest year of all time, 1892? Lizzie Borden. That's the answer. She is rumored to have stayed at the hospital for a few days following the murder in her home. Okay. Yes. Whoa. Um, so to me, the sad thing is this had so much potential and it was all corrupted. Um, there are some who say the workers were worse than the inmates slash patients and they were sadistic. But again, they don't have a way to defend themselves against the rumors. And I don't really have any substantial proof they had had this. Oh. Like, um, do they mean the workers would like harm? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, they were the ones thinking up these treatments. Got it overall manhandling them is what it sounds like they weren't really yeah. treated like humans so like american horror story uh yeah that's honestly the vibe i got from reading this yeah and immediately came to my mind <laughs> yes um ultimately the hospital closed in 1978 and the main building had an explosive fire in the mid 90s but as we know closing doesn't stop the spirits and paranormal activities 
especially when they have cemeteries on site with gravestones marked with just numbers, no names. Ooh, that's rude. People in town to this day state their own ghost stories. There's a classic woman in white, a groundskeeper in plain clothes that sits on the front lawn, mysterious lights and hovering lights above the property. There was a story in the book I read about this girl who lived a block or two away from the hospital and was woken up every night for like three weeks straight from a guy banging like two metal pipes that would just walk down the street and she didn't think he was a real person. Like he looked like a ghost. Oh my God. Whoa. Yes. A fun fact I learned when doing my research is not only were all, was all of that happening, but they have done research and there's thousands of graves in this area that are over 8,000 years old. What? Whoa. Yeah. What? Yeah. Now you have my attention. I'll tell you, let me, let me, when I get to mine, I'll give you my, my sources. <laughs> Let's read some sources. All right. All right. Um, the last thing I wanted to bring up, because it really resonated, me, resonated with me from the book Ghosts of Bridgewater Triangle, was a note from the author. He said that, quote, experience is in the eye of the beholder, end quote. Sort of like beauty is in the eye of the beer holder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but a bit more invited at dinner parties. Hell yeah. Um, he goes on to explain that three people with three different views on the world can interpret the weird happenings at Bridgewater Triangle in three different ways. Someone who tracks spirits will think it's ghosts of a long-forgotten war or some displaced energy are the reason to blame. Um, people into extraterrestrials <clears throat> will see UFOs. Um, someone who loves a conspiracy will think the government is up to no good and they covered all this up. There's a whole side trip about black helicopters flying over. They did a really shitty job covering it up. I'm just going to say. Well, now they, um, they said there's like really tall walls that you can't climb over. And because part of the facility they're trying to use again, I think, you can't break in. They have like actual security. Sounds exactly like a... Kind of like where Mothman is, that old abandoned, like, warehouse. It made me think of Stranger Things, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. like, no, 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 nothing to see. Crazy shit happens. Nothing to see. Don't yeah. you worry. No, no. There's no vortex in here. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> um, so no matter what you believe, I think what is clear is some ain't right in the Bridgewater Triangle. Yee, spicy. Aaron and Morgan, I believe you are about to reinforce that we actually don't want to camp here. I mean, perhaps kind of like uh, your author there's perspective, you know, if you don't yeah. believe in anything, maybe it's just a nice little area to camp. If you do, maybe we really want to go, Maybe we really <laughs> want to go, you know? Yeah. Just saying. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I don't care who goes. <laughs> Who's going next? I don't care. What Normally do it goes murder, then ghosts. Do you have a murder? Do I have? A I feel like I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna butt in. I'm, I'm go, go for I'm it. I'm gonna go because yeah. I feel like a lot of what you said led up to me. That is Take true. It. That is true. Sorry, you also. It's been a minute since we've had like the scariest go last. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, and my we'll have some some talk at the end for mine. I bet. So. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Oh, you're fine. Oh, that's okay. Yes. Now I can be seated. It feels right. <laughs> Come, children. Come, little children. Okay. Anyway, sorry. My turn. Give it to me. Okay. So, 
I have listened to many podcasts on this and so much so that like hearing it on this documentary that I watched on Amazon Prime, I was like, I think I'm just going to repeat everything that I've already <laughs> heard about it. It's just if you either you either know about this place or you don't. And if you don't, you kind of get the same information no matter where you go. Okay. Obviously, legends change and people have different stories, but there's like the main bullet points of the same kind of phenomenon i would love to watch you do a documentary and open with like bruh either you know or you don't (laughs) and if you don't don't, you're about to (laughs) you're either in or you're out (laughs) so listen my hair is nice and big just full of curls and secrets (laughs) (laughs) some conspiracies may say as some sinister sunrise podcasters believe (laughs) tune in at fox 4 yes that was nice. Thank you. Oh my god. My... It's the tone. Oh, I love it. Give it I to me. It. I what do you got? Heck yeah. So, I am going to mention some of the things that Sarah has already said. So, yeah. it's not a repeat. It's a reinforcement, as I will I will say. Yeah, reinforce. So, I did watch the the Bridgewater Triangle documentary on Amazon Prime. So, if you got that Prime, it's free. Um, you know me. I do like the paranormal and I want to believe in all of it. There was a couple people who just, I was very much holding back tears of laughter. Oh, no. Just the way they spoke. You know how I am about people's voices. Just, whew, this one man gave his encounter of potentially seeing Bigfoot. And I was like, he's like, and then it happened. I saw what was the Bigfoot. And just like the way... Anyway. Anyway. I believe you. So if you would like more information on, honestly... The more supernatural part of it, but they do talk a lot about the tribes, people, and everything of that land. Definitely check it out. It's like 90 minutes, I think, if that. Um, It did come out in 2013, so things have changed since then. But what was really cool is on the documentary, Sarah, you already mentioned him, um, but... Mm -mm. Where'd it go? Kirkbride? No. Lauren. Ah, yes. Lauren Coleman. Coleman is a man just in case you didn't know uh he wrote that book <laughs> <laughs> it's l-o-r-e-n like oh. lauren very Colin. uncommon but they said lauren like oh. the whole time so good because i also said lauren until just now and that for a second i was like i hope it wasn't lauren no because I, I read it and i was like there's no way it's spelled like the feminine version and i was like dude i would say lauren but that's church rules <laughs> he is so soft-spoken on the documentary he's like you know, you just have to believe whatever you want to believe. And I was like, but like less hippie, more oh, like he kind of had like a Steve Irwin shirt on, like a, like a tan, just yeah. safari gear. And I was just like, <laughs> all right, sir, I see you. Cut um, to me in 50 right. years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, full beard. Questionable. That is the second. Were you here for that? What? The beard talk? The beard talk? No. No. I have to grow a beard now. Oh, because you referenced yourself as an old man? Uh, with, with a beard. beard. Yeah, yeah, me and Clave were going to have a beard off. Yeah. Who can stroke their beard the most? Soft downs. Coming in strong. Soft, Soft downs. Sure. <laughs> Locking and loading. Yeah. yeah. It's almost no save November. No save November. <laughs> Holy hell. Anyways. Hmm. Uh, yes. Oh, it was so stupid. I would say, 
if I'm a plucking, don't come a truckin'. <laughs> Cut that out. That's not funny. Oh, no. Leave it the fucking. If you have to listen to my sniffle, you have to listen to that. <laughs> Sometimes I should wear a muzzle. Come on. Oh, the reason I couldn't read his name is because it turned orange in my notes for some reason. Lauren. Rude. Anyway, EnterpriseNews.com states, the modern cultural origin of the Bridgewater Triangle legend is was coined by the cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman uh, in his book, Mysterious America. Didn't check on my library app for that one. But I didn't either until it was too late. Yeah. I might read it now, though. Okay. Yeah. He's... I'm, in, I'm into it. Yeah. Uh, he did coin this term, as Sarah stated, um, and it was inspired by the Bermuda Triangle. And he is kind of like him and like I think one other like partner established the rough boundaries. So it's kind of turned into this straight line triangle over mm. the years. It is Riobof in the southwest, Abington in the north, and Freetown in the southeast. So those are the three like mm-hmm. points. Mm-hmm. Um, I jump right into the description of things because as Sarah mentioned a few of them, it just, this just happens. So while they can be seen in lots of places in the BT, some claim to see orb-like lights, the locals call spook lights, um, around the battleground from the late 1600s, a.k.a. What? I just love that name. Spook lights. Sorry. I was like, that's no, so like, cute. Oh, no. Did I say something? No. Um, I mean, you did, but it was cute. Yeah. I know. Aren't they cute? I was like, wait, like spooky lights? or no? And they, they said spook. It's all over. I was like, hell yeah. Um, again, they're seen around the battle site from uh, King... Metacomet. Yeah, Metacomet. Or King Philip. King yeah. Philip, yes. Um, and much like Yosemite, the na- uh, the native tribes people that lived on this land and the battles between them and the English settlers have left a lot of energy in the area. So again, that was just one article's idea. And to kind of again bounce off what Sarah said is people believe that there are these, it could be the energy, it could be UFOs, it could be all of, it, I think in my mind it could be more than three things. But I think it's a cauldron and we're just pouring more things into the spell. That was good. That was really good. It is almost Halloween time. Actually, it's post-Labor Day. It's Halloween time. Yes. All right. So one place I don't think you mentioned, because it's a a name that you won't soon forget, Lake Lake Nippinicket in Mm. the Hockamock Swamp. Oh, yeah. Missed that one. Nippinicket. Nippinicket. I I did rewind several times and was like, you sure? You sure? (laughs) So... Nippinicket Lake, where large snakes and giant birds, aka those thunderbirds that Sarah mentioned earlier, as well as well as other phenomena that I will mention, have been reported to be seen here. This pairs with the Hockamock Swamp, which makes up almost seventeen thousand acres of the triangle. Whoa! And uh, who would have thought there'd be a swamp in Boston? Not fucking not me. me. Mm-hmm. Not gonna lie, was. May or may not have indulged in some treats before uh, watching this and... Uh, mind blown? Mind blown. I just heard the word swamp and I was like, this is Massachusetts, right? Like, am I watching the correct triangle? <laughs> am I doing Bermuda Triangle I know. Again? I was like, yeah. shit, what? But it's true. Like, full-on swamplands. But what's even more odd than a swamp in Boston is the sightings there. <laughs> nice. Thanks. <laughs> the Hockamock Swamp again, almost 17,000 acres, is just a portion of the BT. Uh, This 
this is another known location for those spook lights I mentioned, as well as Bigfoot. Um, on the t- as I mentioned on the documentary, that lovely fair-voiced gentleman uh, who described him and a buddy across Lake Nipponicket, and he like really didn't believe in Bigfoot. Blah blah blah. He t- he said he felt like someone t- like was in his mind and said, "Turn around." So as he turns around and looks across the lake, he sees red, a huge like red furry creature like move along the shoreline. And before he can even get the attention of his buddy he's with, it's gone. He is 1,000, 12 million percent confident it's Bigfoot. Huh. I feel like there are not a lot of reports of them being red. So that was kind of interesting. And like they mentioned the documentary like orangutan-esque. And I'm like, wait, that's kind of cute. You guys ever seen a fucking orangutan? They're yeah. horrible. Oh, oh Bigfoot's got, got a redheaded cousin. <laughs> I'm Cute. telling you, King Louie, he in the woods, bro. Cute. He in the woods. He want to be like you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wants to walk like me. Talk <laughs> like me. True. Anyway, uh, another big thing that is frequently seen from across the lake or across from, like, big areas of the swamp are phantom fires, which personally I think is the most terrifying thing I've heard. I heard about phantom fires in this reading. So I've never heard of that. I've never heard of this. And like they say like it's completely different from the spook lights. One of the stories on the documentary was this guy watched three different colored. He referred to them as spook lights, but he was like, these were kind of different. They were way zoomier. Three of them like zoomed down kind of like a canal almost of the of the swamp, like a like a little, little creek did like a little dancey dance on the surface of the water and then just boop, boop, disappeared the way they came. Fairies are real. Right. So like that's totally different from these phantom motherfucking fires. So people will be across like on one side of the lake, of the swamp, of the whatever, and they can clearly see a fire across. People will go across and be like, hey, like somebody having a party? Like what's up? Nothing there. Like, they can clearly see where they were across the lake. Mm-hmm. It's not super pitch black. It's, like, dusk. Mm-hmm. They will go back to the, their spot and see the fire still going. And they're like, what the fuck? Like, Whoa. it's around a bend. It's not, like, yeah, all different variations of length. Personally, I think that's very scary. One theory is that it's the, like, energy or the spirits of the tribes people. I think that's very likely because I feel like fire was important to a lot of tribes and for survival back then. Yeah. So think I of think a, a winter up there. A lot of you time and energy. Dude, you in a cold swamp. Hell yeah. <laughs> Shoo. Oof. Anyways, they also are known for seeing full body apparitions. Um, the documentary mentioned how a woman was visiting and she like felt a presence. She turned around and was face to face with like this like a full face of an old man and she didn't know if it was like a tribesman or what she kind of hinted that it could have been but overall she's like i've seen a lot of spooky shit but like that's the thing that like scared me the most so again people like her as well as many other people who go to visit say that the swamp area in lake nipponicket is the most active the fact that i just said that with a straight face is amazing anyway uh and within the swampland, there is an old abandoned dog track. Was not abandoned until 2009, though. So oh. when that stuff like became illegal in a lot of places. So thank you, whoever. Not PETA. Whoever the fuck changed that law. There shouldn't be. Wait, I don't races. think I know what a dog track is. Like horse races, but for dogs. Yeah. I have 
my I family's... I want a retired Greyhound. I think yeah. that'd be kind of cool. I think they but... still... Don't they still have them in Florida? Oh, there's still states, states that it's totally... Yeah, I've yeah. gone in Florida. Do any of our laws apply in Florida? I don't know. <laughs> I probably... No, not at Florida all. Florida man? The answer is no. <laughs> the answer is definitely no. Um, but there isn't... Again, from now that it's abandoned, um, there's even more odd sightings at this track for uh, Sarah down at the end of the table. UFOs have been spotted there. I know you mentioned it in your little blurb earlier, but it's... They hate dog tracks, too. They say, Who knew they're animal lovers? lovers? Who would have known? <laughs> known? Hate people. Love animals. And Sarah referenced it earlier, but the best sighting, in my opinion, has to be that of the Puckwudgies. Ooh. Yes. Uh, so in case you heard Sarah say that, she didn't stutter. That is correct. Puckwudgie. 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 Wedgie's cuter. Wudge. Not wedge. Mm. Mm. Wedge. Troll. Muska. God. <laughs> That's a real haunting. That will never. always haunt me. I'll never. I'm, I'm trolling for that mosque. All right. <laughs> Almost <laughs> like you said it correctly. Continue, Continue on. <laughs> if anyone got that as a listener, please DM us. I will give you a sticker if you understood my reference just then. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> The best story and most frequently told of these creatures is from Bill Russo, and he, he they interview him on the documentary, which I think is really cool. Cool. Um, who had his firsthand experience that he states he was out walking his dog, normal routine, kind of older dog, just did their own thing. They took one different route this time, and he's kind of walking along this dirt path, but it's still technically a path, and there's a street light. Hmm. He states there was a small child-sized creature. Upon first glance, while walking his dog, he thought it was a child or maybe a child in like a fuzzy like pajama set or suit. Suddenly, while standing beneath the streetlight, the puckwudgie was almost uh, beckoning Bill to come to him, speaking Ooh. in a strange tone and saying, while it wasn't easy to make out, after reflection, Bill believes that he thinks the creature was saying, we want you here. And he, like, had his hand out, the little creature, the Pakwaji. So, like, he want you here. He want you here. <laughs> anyway, his dog, who was said normally be take charge and be kind of a, like, you know, a bully of a dog, was extremely skittish. So, Bill, after attempting to answer the creature and didn't get a response back from him, turned and walked away. I'm sorry. I watched this, and I was like, no way. He turned and walked away. <laughs> and goodbye. Bro, I'd like, like, go home, lassie. What's up, little dude? Like, I'd be trying to figure out how to, what's going on. I don't know, because if I'm walking in the woods, is he alone? Oh, yeah, just him and his dog. I might walk away. Yeah. But there, it seems to be, like, the way he describes it, like, the way they have images, like, it's almost residential, like... Like, there's houses near... Like, there's streetlights. So, like... Again, listen to the full description from him. But, okay. And I will give him some slack because... I will get into it in a moment. But upon reading about the legends of the Puckwudgies, Bill was even more convinced that the creature was trying to get him to come close to them. Puckwudgies was affiliated... Is affiliated with that... You know, was, is... At least, at least five tribes affiliated with. I don't think I finished my sentence. Mm-hmm. Affiliated with at least five tribes. Has many other names and spellings. But overall, 
according to nativelanguages.org, quote, this is a very long paragraph and kind of repeats itself, but I think both definitions are important. Pukwudgies are magical little people of the forest in, the, uh, in Algonquin for- folklore, similar to European gnomes or fairies. Pukwudgie stories are told throughout the northeastern United States, southeast Canada, and the Great Lakes region. However, their nature varies in the folklore of different tribes. In the Ojibwe and other Great Lake tribes, the, pu- the Pukwudgie uh, is considered a mischievous but basically good-natured creature who plays tricks on people but is not dangerous. In the Abenaki and other Northeast Algonquin tribes, the Pukwudgie can be dangerous but only to people who treat him with disrespect. In the Wampanoag and other tribes of southern New England, Pukwudgies are creparious? Caparious. Sure. Mm-hmm. Say it proud. Caparious it is. Capricious. Capricious? Oh, is it capricious? Yeah, capricious. That's it. <laughs> and dangerous creatures who may play harmless tricks or even help a human neighbor, but are just as likely to steal children or commit deadly acts of sabotage. <laughs> <laughs> According to some Wampanoag stories, Pukwudgies are enemies of the culture hero Mushop and were even responsible for his death and the death of his sons. Continued. (laughs) (laughs) This is a really big gamble. Uh, Right? Pukwudgies are usually described as being knee-high or even smaller. Their name literally means person of the wilderness, and they are usually considered to be spirits of the forest. In some traditions, they have a sweet smell and are associated with flowers. Pukwudgies have magical powers which vary from tribe to tribe, but may include the ability to turn invisible, confuse people, or make them forget things, shapeshift into cougars or other dangerous animals, or bring harm to people just by staring at them. Again, pretty big gamble. Uh Uh-huh. End quote. quote. Yeah, Yeah, so as much as I want to be like, Bill, run you up. Pukwudgie, like, let's go. It's a gamble. Yeah. Yeah. He, he yeah. may have made the smart decision for him and his dog. Yeah. Just, I'm, I'm team Bill. Yeah. 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 It was kind of cool hearing that, like, a f- come, like, hearing his, like, firsthand experience, mm-hmm. though. Oh, yeah. And he was very down to earth, and he said something like he's he waited, like, a couple of years before he even came out with it until he kind of heard, like, the the legends of it and stuff like that. He kind of was like, man, I think he kind of thought he was crazy, but. I would also feel a bit crazy. All right. Like, should I be trusted in the woods alone? With this, Am I? A small child-sized creature? Am like, I the drama? <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it you, Pugwudgie? Are you the drama? <laughs> Oof. Ah. <laughs> so moving on from Pugwudgies. There are also lots of... I didn't know how else to word this. Legendary rocks. <laughs> there is uh-huh. Profile Rock, Solitude Stone, Dighton Rock, Freetown Ledge, and the Anawan Rock. Again, much like our last group episode, Anawan Rock um, goes back to that battle in the late 1600s I mentioned, and so did Sarah at the beginning of my section. This battle was called King Philip's War. Enterprise News states, quote, on August 28th, 1676, Captain Benjamin Church and his group of colonial soldiers captured Anawan and the war chief of the Poseket? Pocasat? Pocasat? Sure. Yeah. Sorry. Respect. People and a chief captain, Metacomet. By then, Metacomet had been captured and killed, and the capture of Anawan marked the final event in King Philip's War. So, lots of energy there. 
I'm sorry, even if you don't believe in spirits, like, there are going to be some past traumas, okay? Right there at this rock. A rock don't forget. A rock don't forget. As mentioned, I think the spookiest rock would have to be Solitude Stone. On it, there is an inscription left by a reverend in 1852 that reads, All ye who in future, future days walk by Nuncasset stream, love not him who hummed his lay, cheerful to the parting beam, but the beauty that he wooed in his quiet solitude. Ooh. Whoa. Just random. Again, I think Sarah did a great job of talking about the Taunton State Hospital. Lots of spooky stuff from there as well. Oh, Not yeah. going to go too into it. Uh, and Sarah did also kind of reference it. But, you know, to top off this entire crazy little zone, Lizzie Borden House just happens to be within the triangle. And uh, maybe I will uh, cover that soon. Okay. I don't know. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Isn't that wild though? This is all in one 200 mile radius. I yeah. really said overall, this was just a summary of some of the spooky locations in the southeast part of Massachusetts. Yep. It's going to be our whole entire podcast. There is. Mm-hmm. I, I, there is a podcast that is 100%, I'm pretty sure, with just the Bridgewater. I believe. Wow. There's enough. There's enough. I mean, you could talk about puck wedgies and the theories of what they are and who they would and what each tribe how they view them. But obviously, they're the cutest and my favorites. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. You can deep dive into each legendary rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah you ready to rock. rock. <laughs> I didn't get it. I kind of was like, hmm, the rare rocks. Okay, here's the two. <laughs> yeah. But yes, I didn't want to rock you to sleep. So, uh, Aaron, oh. I think it's your turn. Aaron, you want to rock our world? Can you yes. tell that I've been hanging out with Sarah a little bit? <laughs> the puns. I've been gone. I want to rock. <laughs> And what you want to talk about? Oh, yes. Well, you had mentioned in your story about satanic cults and whether or not they existed. So we'll we'll discuss it. We'll discuss that in my story. Because oh, I think it right now. I was like, well, I think we you have to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can discuss it, but I think one of us has more facts Actually, than the other. Actually, the discussion part comes before my part. <laughs> You're going to pull Sarah? Yes. 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 <laughs> just take a gander. Um, He's a king and he's a man. That's my guess. <laughs> No, oh, <laughs> not in my people story. died. Yes. Oh shit. I didn't want to be right. Yes. Sorry. Awesome. Like I'll bring down people, like a lot of people. Oh, All three no. of us there's, for sure. Oh no. Yeah. There's oh, no. a couple. I will get into it. So I am covering the Fall River cult murders. Fall River. Yes. <laughs> also, it's, I would like to say you're not just saying Fall River cult. The Fall River cult murders. Mm-hmm. Cool, 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 cool. Whole thing. Yes. Yay. Um, and I did find a documentary. So I also watched a documentary. And this one was like produced by Blumhouse. And it came out in 2021, I believe. There's like four like episodes. So it's more like a docuseries. So it's like four hours long. But it was very dumb? interesting. What's What's Blum- Blumhouse uh, is like a production company. Like they make Ew. scary movies. Yeah. Or oh, just different movies. Now I, I can like picture it in the book. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, you've. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people have probably seen a Blumhouse film. Let me let me, let me look up their logo, because then I'll really know. Oh, yeah. Let me. I think Blumhouse is the one when it, like, opens up at one point. It's, like, the chair, like, swirling around the room, the dark room. Like, Blum. B-L-U-M. Mm-hmm. I also House. was Bloom, but it sounds like it's Blum. Blumhouse. That's how I say it, at least. Blumhouse. Blum, Blumhouse logo. Yeah, bitch. They do a lot of scary movies. Mm-hmm. Also, I like that their logo goes be- depending on the movie. Like, you can tell this one right now, right here. Fucking Saw. 
yes, that's yeah. Oh shit! 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 All right, cool. Yes, I will watch this. So they. So it's real though. It's like a documentary. It's a documentary. Yeah. It's not like a movie with actors. Right. Um, documentary. People were interviewed for it. Oh shit! Yes. Yes. Uh, so let me kind of set the scene, how this okay. all begins. Saturday, October 13th, 1979, Detective Alan Sylvia of the Fall River Police Department is dispatched to Demon Regional Vocational Tech High School to investigate a homicide. A high school? Yes. The naked body of a girl was found lying face down under the school's bleachers. Oh my god! Her hands and feet are bound with fishing wire, her body is posed in a sexual position, and there are clear signs of sexual assault. I will not be getting into that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Detectives aren't sure the victim's identity at first because her head had been crushed by a large rock. Oh my god. Was that necessary? No. I don't... Sorry. None of this is necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I will take a while. That's okay. People be weird, man. That's yes. All I say. Yeah. Definitely overkill. Yeah. Yes. According to former state trooper Paul Fitzgerald, the rock was transported to the FBI lab in Washington, but no prints could be collected from it. An autopsy of the victim's body was conducted at St. Anne's Hospital the following day, and a composite of the woman was rendered. The victim was believed to be around 14 to 19 years old with brown eyes and dark brown shoulder length hair. She was five foot tall, and they believe she weighed around 85 to 90 pounds. Holy shit. If that is an older person, that is very small. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, mm-hmm. like, that's such a big age range, but holy shit. Yeah. I'm so sorry, Aaron. What year is this? This is 1979. So right during the panic. Yes. And right Good when catch. technology wasn't super fresh. Correct. Good combos. Yes. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. We made up our own rules. <laughs> I mean, hey, they tried with the fucking rock, dude. Oh, God. They did. They did. Unfortunately, didn't get anywhere from it, but yeah. A man named John Joseph reaches out to police that same day, telling them he had seen the composite and knows the identity of their Jane Doe. It was 17-year-old Doreen Levesque. Doreen was originally from New Bedford, and after moving to Fall River, um, Massachusetts, she engaged in sex work and turned to drugs. She, along with the, what was described in the documentary, is like 30 to 40 sex workers in the area, most of them young women, frequented bars like Charlie's Cafe and Pier 14, which were just a block away from the police station. She's 17? Yes. Damn, that's how, that's how much, that's as tall as I was when I came out. Fuck. That's a small person. Yes. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I'm I'm glad that's the the detail I got you, though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's teenager but also it could be the drugs too depending on yeah so i thought that might have been part of it and they are guesstimating so doreen was homeless at the time of her disappearance but according to witnesses she had been staying at a man named willie smith's apartment however when detectives questioned him he said he didn't know anything about doreen's murder of course Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) not buying it sauce write him down the list so investigators weren't Looking at him too much, Willie Smith, they were immediately suspicious of a 26-year-old pimp named Carl Drew. A little bit of background on him first. He was raised in New Hampshire by an alcoholic and abusive father. Per his words, his father would beat him until he was knocked unconscious. Oh, my God. 
Uh, another punishment he was subjected to was being like tied with rope and dropped into a well. What the fuck? Yes. Was he taking tips from Taunton State Hospital? Dear Lord, I don't know. Fucking sounds like Bloomhouse is getting their inspiration from the ring. Jesus Christ. Uh I don't think they did it, but the walls are very scary. Yeah, and I don't know how long he stayed in there for. That was just one of the stories uh, Carl told in the documentary. So he was interviewed for it. Mm -hmm. Forget hands across America. Let's do hands across Northeast. Let's all just hug. Everyone needs some love, guys. Calm down. Mm-hmm. And he was over it. So Carl left home at the age of 14 and lived on the streets. Uh, um, a convenience store in New Bedford became his dwelling until he got caught and was sentenced to six years in prison. Um, I'm not sure how old he was when he got caught, but... When he... For, for using a convenience store as a, as a place of living? He got so for squatting? Six years? I guess. Good lord. Okay. He then moved to Fall River while he was out on parole, uh, parole and became a pimp in the area. In as his, one does. As he does. <laughs> in his interview in the documentary, um, again titled Fall River, he said the sex workers paid him to keep them safe on the streets. Other people say otherwise. They feel he was just using them to make money. The sex workers were reportedly afraid of Carl, who they described as violent, cruel, and mean. People seemed to avoid him at all costs. He also allegedly called himself the son of Satan and would take sex workers to different apartments and hotel rooms where they would gather to summon the devil. Um, what? Okay. okay, I thought all the satanic stuff was fake. Okay, continue. When sex workers spoke of Carl Drew to detectives, they would say, quote, Satan controls the street, end quote. I do hope Bloomhouse makes that movie. Satan <laughs> Street. This is like... Marilyn Manson shit. This is so creepy. Okay. This is crazy. I definitely recommend the documentary because there's just so much information and it's just, we will talk at the end. There's just a lot happening. I will be watching it after this. A lot happening. One, uh, I think only one article that I read mentioned occult activity. I'm, I'm shook. As if this place wasn't fucking wild enough. Oh yeah. Oh Mm -hmm. my God. It's got it all. I'm really (laughs) glad you went last. Yeah, yeah, what came first, the ghost, ghost of the cult? Like, yeah. <laughs> also, can you mention, like, a realtor? Like, this is such a nice area. You have, what, spook lights, and you have yeah. cults. <laughs> Lots of neighbors. Phantom fires for whenever you want some natural lighting along the sunset. Mm-hmm. You know how chilly it gets out here. But don't try to approach it. No, 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 no. And if you're lonely, Satan's around. Yeah. Oh, my God. Warm up with Satan. <laughs> What'd you say? Warm up with Satan. <laughs> Is that our tagline? <laughs> Is it? <laughs> Warm up. I hate that I imagined the flyer, like Satan on one of the billboards, like, hey, have you moved here? Warm up with Satan. I was kind of thinking like Spring Hill Jack, like, come like, Oh, yes. I don't know. He, he kind of reminded me of like the Satan-esque. He's got flares of Satan. He do. He do. So we skip forward a little bit. All right. Okay. So it's February 8th, 1980, four months after Doreen's murder. Detectives drive 20-year-old Karen Marsden to the Freetown State Forest, where she claims her pimp, who she referred to as Satan, had taken her and threatened to harm her two-year-old son. Nope. Nope. Karen had been working the streets for Carl Drew for about a year. She was described as being emotionally distraught after Doreen's murder. She, it's described as she, like, wanted to get away, and I don't know if that meant, like, get away from Fall River or... Sex work, maybe both. I don't know. 
but Carl and his buddies apparently threatened to drug her son if she did. Okay. Yeah. Whoa. They Whoa. said they would like party with him, which meant like drug him Ew. up. Yeah. Stay away. Yes, he's two years old. You don't want to party with you? Mm-mm. No. no. He wants to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kids, don't party with Satan. No. No one party with Satan. No. <laughs> Karen also claimed that Carl had forced her to worship Satan in the Freetown State Forest, where allegedly detectives had found upside-down crosses and animals drained of blood in the past. I'll get a minor grain of salt on that, but mm-hmm. we'll get to that. Um, so, yeah. While they are driving around trying to find signs of cult activity, Karen is sobbing and incoherent. She believes that, quote, Satan knows who I'm talking to, end quote, and that she will be killed. She asks the detectives to drop her off at St. Mary's Church so she can speak to a priest. The detectives offer her protective custody, but she refuses, and they watch as she leaves their vehicle and enters the church. The following day, Karen's grandmother contacts police to report Karen missing. Okay. Yeah. And detectives Uh already have a feeling Karen didn't just vanish or run. Uh, She likely met with foul play. From From Satan. Satan. (laughs) From Satan himself. They try to question Carl, but they are having trouble finding him. Instead, they reached out to a woman named Sunny Sparta, who was no stranger to police, She was also a sex worker who had a history of drug abuse and some petty offenses. She was also friends with Karen, Carl, and a 17-year-old pimp named Robin Murphy, who had been in a relationship with Karen at the time of her disappearance. Robin became a pimp in Fall River um, around the same time Carl made his appearance. She had a pretty traumatic childhood filled with violence and neglect. Her parents were, like, just reportedly never around. She's the pimp? Yes, that's how they describe her as. Girls can be pimps, too. I know, but it's just like not, I feel like it was not very talked about. That's what a lot of the people interviewed said, so I will also say she was. For a second, I thought I misunderstood and Robin was a man, so. No, Robin is a 17-year-old girl, yeah. That's an entrepreneur right there. Yeah. I was thinking how sad when I hear a 17-year-old girl does I'm like, what an entrepreneur. <laughs> and then a regular pimp, I'm like, for shame. They don't need you. Double standard. I hear it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, her childhood was not great. She was even sexually assaulted by one of her brothers. Yeah. As she got older, Robin became violent. She was feared in high school. No one wanted to get on her bad side. And if you did, she wasn't afraid to fight you. One of the stories they told in the documentary claims Robin fought a 25-year-old man and he, like, ran away from her. (laughs) That's kind of cool. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, And then another detective that was interviewed in the documentary said she could, like, she would be someone who would, like, eat pizza and then kill you afterwards. Like, it... Didn't matter. <laughs> does not give a flying fuck. No. I doesn't scary give a lady. Okay. Yes. I can, get, I can get why people were a little yeah. fearful. But yeah. Okay. Even these detectives, like, it's even like the detectives talking about her. And at this point, they're like older men that are like afraid of her. They thought she was crazy and this like master manipulator. So it's kind of wild because they're talking about a 17 year old. But I mean, people that age can still do that kind of stuff. It sounds big beyond her years. Yes, yes, which I mean, mm-hmm. with her past, she had to be. Yeah. I mean, I'd... 
gotta, gotta find a way to thrive. thrive. Yeah. Robin wasn't a fan of Carl Drew, and she allegedly wanted full control of the sex workers and money coming in. Investigators couldn't help but wonder if Carl or Robin had something to do with these victims' murders. Doreen was working about two blocks away from their areas, even though they had warned her to stay off the streets. Since she was still bringing in a lot of cash, Carl or Robin may have had motive to kill her. Mm-hmm. Detectives go to um, Sunny Sparta's Arbor Terrace apartment, and while they're there one day, Robin happens to call Sunny. So detectives listen in, and they hear Robin confess to her that she was involved in Karen's disappearance. Ooh. And I don't know how, if she goes into specifics over the phone, but she just says she's involved. It isn't until April 13th when a portion of Karen's skull is discovered. The rest of her body, unfortunately, was never found. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. Also, that's my sister's birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Sorry. First person that comes to my mind. <laughs> Every, all the Beautiful. Time. Yeah. Even though there's no physical evidence tying Carl to Karen's murder, investigators are able to arrest him for violating his parole for whereabouts unknown, and a date for Karen's murder trial is set. And Massachusetts law, I don't know if this is still a law right now or if it isn't anymore, but it allowed prior bad acts to come into evidence if it showed motive, and the prosecution planned on like using Doreen's murder to argue their case, even though no one had been charged with her murder. Does that make sense? That's risky. It does yes. make sense. Okay. It sounds, it sounds like a house of cards, cards, but it does make sense. It definitely yeah. is. Yes. Back when, <laughs> well, it sounds like if that's like what they're allowed to do, I see both sides of it. Cause it's like, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. But it's like, we're going to put all our eggs in one basket and like hope for the Beat best. You yeah. with the basket. Yeah. But then it also stinks though. Cause if they do that for everything else, it's like, Oh, the one bad thing you did that has. Yes. yes. Potentially nothing 100%. to do with what you're, you know, on trial for then. You found this kid with weed when he was 14? Yeah, he definitely did that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's in a cult. Mm -hmm. Capital C cult. Yeah. Mm. Again, this is a little bit different, but still. I was just like, very interesting law. Yeah. Anyways, they believed that Carl killed Karen because she witnessed Doreen's murder. Yeah. So that's what they're arguing. Okay. Carl is adamant he didn't kill Karen and insists he has an alibi. He says he was drinking at Pier 14 on the night of February 8th with some friends of his. So he's like, I didn't do it. The district attorney's office brings Robin in and immediately offers her a plea deal. They would reduce her charge to second-degree murder with the possibility of parole if she testifies against Carl. She agrees to their terms, and on March 9th, 1981, Robin tells the jury Carl, quote, worshipped the devil, and he had seances with skulls in the middle of the floor and candles, and spoken tongues, end quote. Mm. He had pressured sex workers to worship Satan, and he had coerced her to partake in the seances. She said Carl did this as a way to secure the money the sex workers were bringing in. Robin also claimed Karen told her that Carl had forced her to bash Doreen's head in with a rock. If she hadn't complied, she would have met the same fate Doreen had. I, I'm, I believe her. Okay. Kind of. Okay. She's the scary one, right? Robin Murphy, yeah. Yeah. Scary 17-year-old. Scary, but all, like, nothing scarier than Satan. What does the cult stuff have to do with getting the money? Like, 
that hung me up as well, but I think I'm going to wait and see where this goes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, thoughts. Yeah, I saw we both were like, and we got, it's like we got clotheslines. Like, yeah. Both like, wait a second. We were like, but there's lockboxes. Like, secure the money. I guess to like scare them, like, I don't know, you're going to be the offer to Satan next or something if you don't do this. I don't know. Maybe it was like scare tactics. Normally it's like the opposite. Like, hey, give me a little bit of money and I will make sure that that stuff doesn't happen to you. Like, mm-hmm. you know, blah, blah, doing the Satan stuff down the street. Interesting. Tactic, all right. Yeah, yeah. According to Robin's story, Shortly after detectives dropped Karen off at the church on February 8th, she had met up with Karen. A witness claimed to have spotted the women sometime between 7.45 to 8.30 that night. Carol Fletcher, a sex worker, pulled up next to them on the street with Carl Drew in the passenger seat and Willie Smith and a man named Carl Davis in the back seat. Carl, uh, Carl Drew told them to get into the car and they didn't stop until they reached a wooded area in Westport, Massachusetts. He then instructed Robin to drag Karen out of the car. Karen was beaten and her hair was pulled out as she was led further into the woods. Robin was then told to cut Karen's throat with a knife, which she said she did because she feared Carl would kill her. Carl then decapitated Karen's head and used it to perform oral sex, supposedly, before kicking it around like a soccer ball. Oh my God. God. This can't be real. This is too sensational. Your face is real. No, this to be real. Just keep these thoughts in your head. Okay. <laughs> you got it. Keep on thinking. Uh, Carl then forced the others to perform sexual acts on Karen's body. Oh, my God. According to Robin, around 1030 to 11 that evening was when the satanic ritual took place. And between 11 o'clock and midnight, they burned Karen's body. So that's her timeline. That is quite an evening. For a second, I was like... They never said it was burned, but they also never found it. Mm-hmm. Also oh, correct, yeah. yeah. Got it. Besides that little portion of her skull. Got okay. it. So Carol Fletcher, she made a deal with detectives for immunity. And on the stand, she admitted to picking Karen up in her rental car and driving out to Westport. No blood or other DNA evidence was found in the vehicle, though. Leah Johnson, a sex worker and Carl's girlfriend at the time, also testified against him. She claimed that the day after Karen's murder, Carl had given her Karen's ring. That's not a good look. No, definitely not. On March 13th, the jury found Carl Drew guilty of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Carl Davis and Willie Smith, so the other men who were reportedly in the car and at the scene of Karen's murder, were absolved of any crimes. Whoa. Yeah. Robin was charged with second-degree murder and sent to Framingham Correctional Institute. Okay. My story does not end there, though. Okay. It just gets crazier. Yeah. By by your wanting of of the to use the word doozy, I I know. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is <laughs> definition of a doozy. Definition of a doozy. Yes. Here we go. We're going down that roller coaster. Come on. Strap in, Bray. It's a long roller coaster. Oh. At Robin's parole hearing in 2004, she tells the state parole board that she lied on the stand at Karen's murder trial. Dun, dun, dun. And this is what she said she lied about. So before, she claimed to have slit Karen's throat, but now she denied ever killing Karen. It's a big change. Big lie. Uh-huh. Robin isn't the only one who changes her story. Leah Johnson and Carol Fletcher, now Carol Brooks, have recanted their statements. 
In her signed affidavit, Leah wrote that she was pressured by detectives to testify against Carl, and she stated that her story about Karen's ring wasn't true. Again, Again big, big lie. lie. Uh-huh. That, that could get so, so, like, I'm just thinking back on, like, how messy that can be because I know we've, we've done other, or you've done other cases where like the jewelry like pinned it on someone. Yes. Mm-hmm. But it's like, there's no one to vouch for her mm-hmm. that that was even her jewelry. It's like, no wonder it was just believed. Oh, I don't like it. Okay. Yeah, that's right. very true. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, there's, no one, there's no mom to be like, she wore that locket every day. Like, yeah. just like, yep, this is her ring. That's little Annie's locket. I yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good oh, point, Morgan. so sad. Yeah. Carol claims that Carl wasn't there on the night of Karen's murder. So her story now was that she was driving around 7.30 to 8 o'clock that night, February 8th, when she spotted Karen. Karen got into her car and the women drove around chatting for a bit. They made a stop to grab beer and cigarettes. And during their stop, Karen told Carol that she had been there when Doreen was killed. She also told Carol, quote, if anything happens to me, please don't let nothing happen to JJ, end quote. At one point during the evening, a car pulled up next to them and a man asked Karen how much. Carol said Karen told the man her price and she got into the guy's vehicle. After that, Carol just drove around for a while before stopping at Arbor Terrace, thinking Karen would probably, you know, be there by then looking for Robin. Mm -hmm. She claims she spotted Karen like on the roof of Arbor Terrace crying. Carl Drew was nowhere in sight, but Robin was on the roof with her. Then she saw Robin pull out a knife, and at that point, Carol just turned back to her car and drove off, not waiting to see what was going to happen next. I don't know which one makes you a worse person, if that's possible, but both are very bad. They both suck. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, Now, they they both sound like a lie. It's just, it's all crazy. It's all crazy. Oh, God. Private investigator Chris Hayes believes Carl's attorney, John Berkness, was inexperienced. Carl's case was the first murder case Berkness had ever worked. When Carl told him, um, again, that like his friends and the bartender from Pier 14 could corroborate his alibi, again, he said he was like at the bar that night, Berkness like hired an investigator to interview the witnesses, but he never like reached back out to the investigator. So I don't know if the investigator ended up like interviewing these witnesses or not, but a year passed without this guy talking to the investigator. And by that time, the investigator passed away. So Berkness then had to hire a new investigator to interview these witnesses. But that just seems ridiculous <laughs> that it wasn't even like verified right away. Like you, like, oh I feel like that's the first thing you do. Oh, you have an alibi. We're going to check it out. We're going to get this verified. Uh, okay. okay. And now it's think. been over a year. Like, I feel like at that point, it doesn't matter what you say. Yeah. yeah. No, it's just not as believable. So yeah, that just irked me so much. According to Hayes too, Berkness didn't work another murder case after that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll <laughs> do it. There's also a theory that Ronald Pina, who was the district attorney during the trial, was approaching an election campaign and wanted to get the case closed as quickly as possible. During her interview in the documentary, Robin said Pina had told her to lie about Carl Drew and the satanic ritual aspect of the murders. So I guess putting an alleged Satanist and cult leader behind bars would make himself look pretty good. So maybe he just wanted to stick with that story. Tough on crime. Tough on Satan. Yeah. (laughs) 
I imagine like a smear campaign against someone else. Like, did he put a satanic cult leader behind bars? I don't think so. He wants him out and about. <laughs> hurting your children. <laughs> Look at these streets that he's cleaned up. Yeah. Oh my God. Ronald Pina for district attorney. <laughs> no. After Robin's 2004 parole hearing, Mike Cutler, Carl Drew's post-conviction attorney, motioned for a new trial to bring in new evidence or just other evidence that hadn't been admitted into the trial. The judge granted this, and in October, witnesses like Leah Johnson and Carol Brooks admitted to giving false testimony because they were threatened with jail time. Investigators, however, claimed they didn't manipulate any witnesses. A he said, she said type deal. And then Robin also testified, but even though she said she lied on the stand, um, she still stated that Carl committed the murders. Okay. Okay. uh, Okay. okay. On January 27, 2005, the judge claimed the evidence admitted did not warrant a new trial and the motion was denied. Whoa. How though? Well, I guess changing stories can't be that uncommon. I know, but it is. big changes. There are big changes, but then again, I'm like, there wasn't any physical evidence tying him to the murder anyway. So, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't substantial. Yeah. It's all other people's stories. And now they're saying they're not true. Exactly. But you're saying that's not enough. It seems like maybe it is, bro. Mm, yeah. While in prison and while the documentary was being filmed, Carl received a call from a man who claimed to have seen Karen's murder. The man's identity was withheld, but Carl knew the man's mother. The man told Carl he was pretty sure he saw Robin at the scene of Karen's murder, and he was 100% sure the other two people he saw were Sonny Sparta and Carol Davis. Uh, Excuse me, Carol. Carl Davis, excuse me. He said he saw Carl Davis holding a woman back on the roof of Arbor Terrace. He believed that the woman was Robin and that Carl was trying to pull her off of Karen. Oh. Yeah. Again, I feel like I said this like too many times. Grain of salt. I take this with a grain of salt too because this man would have been like five years old at the time he saw this. Oh, okay. Okay. There it is. Well, also there's a chance that Carl Drew is this like guy's father. So that's like another reason the guy called Carl Drew to be like, hey, by the way, are you my dad? So two big questions. Two big questions. So he could be kind of manipulating his memory a bit to like help out his potential father uh-huh. yeah. to get him out. So uh-huh. I wanted to add it in there, but I don't. I, major, major grain of salt. Major grain of salt. Yeah. yeah. Biggest one I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's impressive. Ripley's believe it or not. Doesn't even come out of the salt shaker. Nope. Logs it all up. James Buddy Day, the director of the documentary, doesn't believe Carl killed Doreen or Karen. He told Rolling Stone that the Fall River community and law enforcement, quote, just grabbed onto the idea that Satanism had to be a motivator for these murders without any evidence, and then that colored the rest of the case. And no sense. What? Had to be a motivator. Had to be. That's Satanism? Oh, yeah. sa- oh, they were, like, on it. That drives me nuts. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. I thought you were talking about him saying the quote. I was like, no, no, no. I hear the quote. I know. It's strong opinion for something like how there was even like in the documentary, there was one like investigator that apparently what like cult stuff, cult investigations was his thing. And like the filmmakers or whoever was interviewing him was just like, but now we know that like, that's not true. And the guy's like, 
oh no, it is. Like, there, we found stuff. Did we learn nothing from the witch trials? It's just, again, it's crazy. And that's another thing about this documentary, too, is how, it is very interesting to watch, but how years have passed, you're given this new information, and people still stick with their stories. Like, no, it's, it is wild. Okay. And irritating at the same time. Nah, not a fan. Nah. Day did some investigating of his own, and he discovered that Andy Maltese, a pimp in Fall River, had a criminal past. He had been arrested in the Freetown State Forest for picking up junior high girls and raping them. One of those girls was Robin Murphy. He was around 44 years old when he met 11-year-old Robin and offered to give her a ride home down the street, only to take her to the Freetown State Forest to sexually assault her. At one point, I think he like was with her for a bit. Uh, he also uh, like even introduced Robin to his mother, which is just... Yeah. He also raped one of Robin's friends who had attempted to tell police about the assault, but they refused to take her statement because she was only 12 years old. I'll see myself out. But yet also took the story of someone who was five when he said he saw the murder. Yeah. KKK. Also gets brought up to an investigator and they were like, we were just dealing with like he brushes it off. So like flippantly, like they were dealing with other stuff. I was like, oh, that's great. Cool. You have a serial rapist. I hate it. Yeah. One of Andy's victims recalled having her wrists and ankles bound with fishing line, which was later discovered in the trunk of his car during a search. I know you picked up on it. (laughs) Yes. So fishing line had also been discovered at the scene of Doreen's murder. Her hands and feet had been tied with fishing line. Turns out Andy was questioned about his whereabouts on the night of Doreen's murder several times, and Robin had even made comments to police about Andy's potential involvement, but detectives ruled him out as a suspect. Oh my god. Uh, Andy, however, had told the state police officer that Carl Drew had killed Doreen. Hmm. Wanting to believe what they want to believe. Mm -hmm. Ugh. What's also interesting is that a similar murder happened less than a month after Doreen's. So on January 26, 1980, a man walking his dog in a wooded area discovered the frozen body of a young woman. Similar to Doreen's murder, this woman's hands hands had been tied together with fishing wire and she had been bludgeoned to death, likely by one of the cement blocks that were found near the scene. The woman was 19-year-old Barbara Raposa, who had been Andy's girlfriend uh, at the time. Uh, It it all triangles back. back. Yeah. Yeah. Motive? Motive. Motive. Motive, you there? Mm-hmm. You there? Come, Come on, man. man. You <laughs> Barbara had disappeared on November 7th, which was the same day she had been thinking of leaving town. Her father ended up reporting her missing after she didn't pick up her son from the babysitters. She Yes, not good. She had also recently started seeing a new man, and Andy apparently wasn't happy about it. According to the medical examiner, Barbara, they believe, was killed um, on November 7th, the day she was reported missing, and the wounds from her body would have covered the assailant with blood. Of course, one of the former detectives, and again, (laughs) detectives in the documentary, you know, the interviewers are bringing this up, like, couldn't Andy have, you know, or couldn't Andy have killed Doreen or Karen or whatever, but they, um, this Investigator didn't believe Andy killed Barbara because he lived with his mother and the mother didn't see Andy with any blood on his clothes, nor did he take a shower when he got home. 
It's his mother. <laughs> what do you mean? Everyone knows mothers don't lie. That's a lie. Yes. What the fuck? So it couldn't be him. I investigator investigates any crime I do. I'm like, wasn't me. Don't ask. Sarah's don't lie. You know what? Ask my mom. Because she... She will not lie. She will 100% tell you the truth. She can corroborate everything I say. Without being prompted at all. Oh, it's usually like you don't... You take what moms and parents and close family members say a little bit with a grain of salt. Like, they're close family. A small grain, if you will. Small grain. Ideally. Ideally. The grain you've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, well, anyways, it seems like this investigator was wrong because Andy kind of, like, inserted himself into the investigation. He... He's <laughs> falling out of the chair. Did he wear a big sign in his forehead saying, it was me? I did it. Uh, no, not like that. Okay. Not like that. Uh, he did go to the police station a lot to uh, help the officers out. Oh. But then... <laughs> One night, and this is, I think this is partially Robin's story and some other people's story. I don't know if it really went this way. But one night, he walked into the police uh, station carrying a Bible and told officers he had been with the devil. He was given his Miranda rights, and during his 48-hour interview, he told them he had killed Barbara. And again, how it's explained uh, is like a dream he had of her being killed. Like he was having this out-of-body experience. He's like watching like above her as it's happening. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, okay. This sounds even more crazy than the first story that uh, Robin, Robin told us. Yes. Yes. The cops take this as Andy's confession and he was arrested on February 7th, just one day before Karen's murder. So there's no possible way he could have killed Karen, right? No. Wrong. Yeah, listen, like dead wrong. Listen to this. According to the documentary, per Massachusetts law, if you were arrested, you had up to 24 hours to be arraigned. What? Well, what? Andy's lawyer got him bail. So. You're fucking telling me when this man was on bail, he went and fucking did that? He was released on February 8th, hours before Karen was murdered, and then he wasn't indicted until the next day. So it's a, it's a possibility. What an evil fucking person. I have one more le- night of freedom. Ew, ew. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's also record of Karen's grandmother telling police that Andy had threatened Karen before her death. He had told her he thought he might be arrested for Barbara's murder. And if he was, he told Karen she would be hurt if that were to happen. Oh, my God. But um, obviously this, his connection or any possible connection wasn't looked into. He ended up dying in prison just seven years after he was convicted. Not long enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Today, Robin maintains her innocence, stating in the documentary, quote, I told a lot of stories a long time ago, and I don't tell stories anymore, end quote. She actually received parole in 2004. So after that parole hearing, she received it, but was sent back to prison in 2011 for dating a felon and being in the vicinity of a drug deal. Uh, That That does suck. Yeah. Yeah. She was eligible for parole again in March of this year. Psychologist Frank DiCataldo believes Robin's age, along with the fact that she didn't actually commit any criminal or violent acts while she was on parole, is indicative of her being able to return to the community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd agree. 
Uh, Audrey Cooney reported for the Herald News that three people spoke against Robin receiving parole. Retired Fall River Detective Alan Sylvia, Bristol County Assistant District Attorney Patrick Bomberg, and Robin's um, ex-friend, I guess, Patricia DeSoto, who believes Robin is a narcissist and was the ringleader behind all three murders. Okay, well, that's a pretty big one. The other two, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. She She wasn't just saying, like, you're tacky and I hate you. She was like... No, this fucking bitch. You got issues. Yeah. I mean, there are quite a few people who do believe Robin committed all the murders, too. So, there's a lot. Okay. There's a lot to unpack. There's too many fucking stories. Too many tales. Too many lies. It's a lot. Carl Drew continues to serve his sentence at the Massachusetts Correctional Institution in Shirley. He believes police framed him for the murders. In January 2020, the filmmakers behind the documentary sent their findings to the Massachusetts Public Innocence Program, hoping they would take Carl's case. However, COVID-19 hit, and their efforts, as well as like the documentary, came to a halt for a bit. Uh, and Carl has since used up all of his appeals. However, I do think they now are like looking into his case. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, and the last little sad note I have is that Doreen Levesque's murder is still unsolved to this day. Thanks. Yeah, no one has ever been charged for it. For dead. And that is the crazy story of the Fall River cult murders. I felt like I definitely could have embellished it more with like the satanic rituals and the cults. And I'm like, but that didn't even happen. Like, it's just, they made it up. Yeah. To be extra spooky? Because it was the zeitgeist at the time? Yeah. And everyone just like clung on to it. word. Gracias. Yeah. I was just like, no, this is dumb. Can we do our like jobs, please? You had an actual murder, murder, and you are playing, playing make-believe, sir. Yeah. yeah. All of them. Mm-hmm. All of them. Thanks, Aaron. Sorry. We learned nothing from the witch trials. That's all I'm going to yeah. say. <laughs> so it's, I mean, you have, like, the main three, unless it's someone outside of them, but, like, it's either Andy Maltese, Robin Murphy, or Carl Drew. And, like, the one of the best, like, little discussions at the end was this, um, like, investigative journalist who was like, should Carl Drew be, like, in prison? Just, like, in general. She was like, yeah, sure, probably. He's done terrible things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should he be in prison for murder? That's where, you know, the question lies. Perhaps not. Perhaps not. Perhaps not. Perhaps so. It's just... I... Yes, to, yes to prison, no to murder. Yeah, I don't think so. On those circumstances, yes. Yeah. If they all of a sudden were like, we found this actual concrete evidence. There's a Polaroid of him dropping the rock. Right. So I was like, that's pretty irrefutable. Yeah. I think that's the big thing for me, too, is there's no physical evidence tying him anywhere. And I mean, a lot of times that just gets people off anyway. Like, oh, there's no physical evidence. Well, we can't do anything about it. Yeah. Even, even if people have, you know. It's not even get them. It's like it just postpones it for so long. Yeah. yeah. Until they can find something. But it was just with this crazy story going on that had taken... Fall River by Storm. I feel like... I watched the documentary. Even after all that is said and done, I can't believe when the case was potentially, like, reopened or reevaluated that they weren't like, okay, if you're going to confirm your involvement, where's the rest of the body? Yeah, like, I need a bit more you. Didn't, you didn't burn it in six hours like you're saying you did overnight. And if you did, it's not gone. It's not gone. And there's stuff. So it's like, okay, then yeah. prove that you were there. And there's also pieces of Robin's, like, timeline that also doesn't make sense because other witnesses say they saw her, like, come home around, like, 10, 1030. And I'm like, so this was before any... session didn't... Or any of it happened, yeah. So... God damn it. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It is a crazy, crazy mess. I will say the documentary I watched, I was only able, it might be on Amazon Prime if you have like one of those extra subscriptions, like stars or something. Mm-hmm. I was only able to like purchase it on YouTube for like five bucks for all the episodes. Okay. Yeah. So you don't have to pay some money, but it was a very, very interesting watch. And it's called what again? Fall River? Just Fall River. Okay. Yep. You said it came out this year, last year? 2021, yeah. Because I, they were filming. I, I don't know how long it took to film, but it stalled because of COVID. And then it just came out. It will out. be on a streaming service soon then. Maybe. Like I said, I think it was on Amazon Prime, but it might just be like one of those. You have to have an extra oh, yeah. Not if you don't stars. Have basic shit. Yeah, <laughs> I will be checking that out. Thank you, Aaron. You're welcome. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> there was just so, so much. I could have gone into so much more, but. Tribe history? Satan, maybe, maybe, probably not. <laughs> One to rule them all. Honestly, I feel Satan. like out of everything we talked about, this is like the least likely. <laughs> Satanic cults. No. Aaron, that's the most positive, supernaturally thing you've ever said. Oh. Yeah. Because you're always like, mm, I don't know. Could be. I'd rather meet a creepy Pukwudgie. Satanic cult. Yeah. Wait. In this situation. Yes. Not which would you rather join? Which would you rather? Not or they didn't exist at all versus punk Just, just this one in particular. But speaking of evidence, I have a good way our listeners can leave us a paper trail. Ooh. Tell us. I just might. If you're listening and you like it, why not give us a five star rating on on Apple Podcasts? You can follow. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been on a Spotify. Go for it. Take it. No, I don't want to take it. <laughs> Toss on Spotify, you can leave reviews there too. Actually, mm. damn, you mouthed it, and I said no. Apple Podcast. So sorry. Fine. Um, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Sinister underscore Sunrise underscore Podcast, and uh, shout out to our devoted fan Jen. You know who you are, Jen. Um, for. Being a good hype girl and uh, sending in those suggestions. I didn't get a chance to read all of them, but uh, I know one of us responded. But thank you for yeah. being a dedicated fan. And she did it the right way. Slid in those DMs. You can also uh, email us at SinisterSunrisePodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you have an experience, you have a dream you want to interpret, it's been a hot minute since you've done that, Sarah. It has been a minute. Um, if you... Weren't part, part of a crime, crime, but maybe know of one that happened. <laughs> yeah. Feel free to let Aaron know. <laughs> if you're part of a crime, leave your name off. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's anonymous. Redacted. Leave us a fake name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely also check the address of your Gmail. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you for listening to our story on uh, the Bridgewater Triangle. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I think that's it. I say so. Stay sinister. Bye. Bye.